6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. It's, it always fascinates me as a technologist, and my specialty is in information science, is to discover some of our frontiers in science are anticipated in the Word of God. When we read the Word of God, we may not have the scientific background to fully appreciate its implications. But what survives is not our scientific textbooks, but the Bible. None of you would take a course in physics with 1960 textbooks, or 1950, or 1940. You'd laugh at it. But you can take a Bible course with the same Bible that Schofield used, or whoever, you know. Okay, we're down to verse 4. We're making great progress here. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Notice it's his sacrifice, not his character, that's the issue here, by the way. I think Cain had a remarkable character. He did a stupid thing. But he's, he, anyway, by which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it being dead, yet speaketh it. It's his sacrifice that made the difference. He wasn't better behaved. You could put, fill in a lot of blanks. No, it was a sacrifice that he obtained witness that he was righteous. What made him righteous? His conduct? No, his sacrifice. Okay. He's an example of one that chooses God's way to approach him. Cain chose his way. God had ordained a blood sacrifice back in Genesis 3, verse 21. By the coats of skins they'd be covered. A Levitical uh, hint very early. That was what God had ordained. Abel did what God requested. Cain did what he thought was a better idea. Didn't work. Okay, he gave the fruit of a cursed ground rather than the, the, what God had ordained. Cain is an example of one who thinks he can choose his own way to God. Doesn't sound like a bad idea, except God writes the rules. And by the way, the blood sacrifice did not make Abel righteous. What made Abel righteous was his faith, and the evidence of his faith was that he offered the type of sacrifice God required. Okay? It's his behavior that's to be, of, of doing what God told him is the issue. The blood itself never saved him. The blood on the cross did. God testifying of his gifts. Okay? And by the way, good question. How do they know their, you know, Abel's sacrifice was accepted, right? Cain's was not. How did he know? How did he know? How did Cain know that his sacrifice wasn't accepted? He put it on an altar? What happened? What? Good for you. Many people don't realize that. God in those days took it. Okay? And uh, fire from heaven? Absolutely. Moses and Aaron in Leviticus 9 experienced that. Gideon experienced it in Judges 6. Samson's parents in Judges 13. Elijah in 1 Kings 18, very dramatically at Carmel. David, 1 Chronicles 12. And Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7. 
You know, we read the Bible, we don't pick up on that maybe, but right on. We got someone doing their homework. I like that. That's good. Okay. Now, let's move on. By faith, Enoch was translated, raptured if you excuse the expression, uh, that he should not see death. Wow. And was not found because God had translated him for before his translation. He had this testimony that he pleased God. We get to Genesis 5, it's not quite clear. The writer of Hebrews elaborates on it for us here. The Hebrew of Genesis actually reads, in Genesis, he was there and then he was not there anymore. <laughs> okay? Now, if that's the case, I probably have had some employees and companies I ran that were translated. Yeah. <laughs> For before his translation, Enoch was well pleasing unto God before his translation. He was translated because he was pleased. Okay? Because God was pleased. The fact that he pleased God was evidence of his faith. Okay? Because it's, see, he's ascribing his translation to faith. Okay? Because he had, he, he was well pleasing. Because of his faith, he was well pleasing. Because he was well pleasing, he was translated. Okay, verse 6. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must do two things believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Two essential prerequisites. Two essential prerequisites. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek them. Two things. If you don't believe in the existence of God, you've got a problem. And it fascinates me to realize that God's, is, God is jealous of his role as creator. We live in a culture that's denying that. And there's a specific judgment that God pronounces upon a culture that fails to acknowledge him as a creator. And that judgment is homosexuality. Ooh, yeah, read Romans 1, verse 20 to the end of that chapter. If you're going to please God, you've got to do two, and you've got to believe that he exists. And you also need to believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Okay, verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen yet, namely rain. From the scripture, we draw the inference that it hadn't rained till then. We take rain for granted, but we live in a different ecology than Noah did. There are two huge discontinuities in the history of the planet Earth. One is the fall of Adam in Genesis 3, which introduced the entropy laws, I believe. And the other big discontinuity is the flood of Noah. And it's more than just a lot of water. The whole world changed in some very dramatic ways, if you study that carefully. Anyway, by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. He accomplished two things. He saved his house, of course, but he also condemned the world. We overlook that. The world is indicted by the fact that Noah did and they didn't. But all this because of things not seen as yet. And we believe it didn't rain until that time. And he showed his faith by building the ark, which accomplished two things. It condemned the world. For 120 years, this thing's sitting in his driveway, right? And he became heir of righteousness, which is by faith. So Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He was saved by grace. Hmm? Okay, we get to this guy, Abraham, the father of the faithful. Many titles in the scripture. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed 
And he went out not knowing whither he went. One of the greatest guys of faith was a guy who didn't know where he was going. <laughs> now most of this section from verse 8 all the way to verse 19 is going to deal with this interesting character, Abraham, probably the richest man of, in the world at that time, the speculation by many scholars. But he went out not knowing where, whither he went. The very act of he departed from his country. That showed his faith. Didn't know where he was going. He's just trusting God is the point. He obeyed. Immediately, by the way, the Greek text has a present participle, which means the action occurred at the same time as the main verb. So he was getting up to obey. Immediately, God, God probably hadn't even finished speaking. He's on his way. That's the same thing we get in chapter 22 of Genesis. God says to offer your son. Next morning, he gets up and goes. Didn't think about it, mood about it. I'll pray for it, about, pray for it, make sure it's his idea for a week. No, no, next morning, he's on his way. He didn't mess around. By faith he obeyed and went to a place he would afterward receive as a future inheritance. He didn't know where he was going, but wherever he was going, he trusted God. That was going to be his inheritance, and he knew it would be better than anything he could imagine. So by faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tents. The word tabernacles here, but it's basically tents. With Isaac and Jacob the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city. Gee, was he looking for one of the cities around there? No. Which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Here we have Abraham looking for what? do We call what he's looking for. What, was, what is he looking for? The new Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem. Not the Jerusalem we think of. Okay. Dwelling in tabernacles. Okay. And the word dwelling here means to live as a stranger in temporary dwellings, is what the Greek term means. Okay? The heirs with him of the same promise. Isaac and Jacob were fellow heirs of the Abrahamic covenant, as you and I are by faith, even though we're not Jewish. And by the way, it wasn't sustained. It was through heirs, Isaac and Jacob, and we, we inherit it through Jesus Christ, but uh, not through the other sons. How many sons did he have? Six altogether. So, okay. Ultimately. But he looked for a city, the heavenly Jerusalem. And it's going to be mentioned three more times in this um, epistle. And of course, going to be elaborated on in, in um, Revelation 21 to, you know, through early part of chapter 22. Through faith also Sarah received strength to conceive seed. Now, wait a minute. I remember the story, right? Remember Genesis 19? What did, what did, or 18, what, what, what did she do when she found out? She laughed. She laughed. Well, does this contradict? She received strength to conceive seed. No, the, actually, interestingly enough, the um, gra gra grammar here implies it's the inserting of the sperm. This, the, the faith is actually Abraham's as far as that part of it's concerned and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. So yes, she laughed at first, but yes, she, she also was of faith. It's mentioned here. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Who is he talking about through these two verses? Abraham. Abraham. See, to conceive seed and uh, delivered of the child. So forth. 
therefore sprang there even of one in him as good as dead. He was 90 something, right? So many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. And uh, those are both idioms to try to speak of something you can't count, right? To conceive seed. The Greek literally says the depositing of sperm there. So, and even of one and him as good as dead. He's referring not to Sarah's faith, but to Abraham's faith here. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. We are too. We are too. And the more I hear of the political rhetoric on television, the more I know I'm a stranger in this town. (laughs) The writer points out that the patriarchs eventually died and the promises were not fulfilled in their lifetime, but they were willing to embrace them from afar. The promises they're clinging to were not necessarily fulfilled in their lifetime. That's going to be a point that's going to be hammered home here as we go. But they're pilgrims working, looking for a better day. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of the country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. There's no attempt to return. That's really the point. It sounds strange the way it's worded, but that's really the point. They didn't plan to go back. Abraham didn't, he may have spent some time, he was supposed to, he was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees, and all he did for a while is move up river. He's supposed to leave his father. No, he moved up river until his father died. Then he went on to fulfill. But did he ever want to go back to Haran? No, or Ur? No, not at all. They were willing to receive it in another lifetime. You and I are building up an equity in another reality, in another lifetime, if I can phrase it that way. In the millennium, this promise will be fulfilled when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will own the promised land. Jesus said that men will come from the north, south, east, and west to recline with whom? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the land. That's in Matthew 8, verse 11. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly country. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. I don't like cities. We don't do a good job at planning. Cities tend to outgrow our assumptions, and so most of them, I don't, I don't romanticize big cities. Many people do. I don't. But there's one city that I'm sure I'm going to find well-planned and adequately provided for. These guys have a superior home, the New Jerusalem. And again, it appears three times in, this episode, more in, in the Revelation. So the patriarchs lived according to the faith. They did not receive the totality of the promise in their lifetime, but that's what they clung to and that was what drove them. They saw the future fulfillment by faith. They believed that God would bring the promises to pass. They embraced the promises. They confessed that they were earthly strangers and pilgrims and they were seeking a heavenly country. That's the summary. But the main point is they had no desire to return to where they came from. They left and were glad of it. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. Oh, this is the biggie. And he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Now, there was another son. It was Ishmael. He had, and he was going to have six more sons. He had six altogether before. But the only begotten doesn't mean what we think it means. It really means it's one of stature, not of, of sequence. Only begotten. The phrase emphasizes uniqueness, not origin. In the English, it's a little misleading. 
He knew by this time that the promises would only be transmitted through Isaac, not through his other sons of whom he had several. Now he was asked by God to kill the one son who was understood to be the inheritor of the promises. Get the picture here. Abraham knew that in Isaac the seed would be called. The seed there is singular, not plural, meaning Christ. Not seed, just in the sense of descendants. And in the, in the same writer in the, in the Epistle of Galatians makes that point from the singular to the plural. But the point is, the point is Abraham knew Isaac was going to have children. Had to have to fulfill God's promises. God says, okay, I want you to offer your son. Okay, no problem. Not my problem, it's your problem. Because you promised you're going to have kids. If you're going to, that means you're going to have to resurrect them. And in verse 19 of this epistle where we understand that Abraham, it was his belief in the resurrection of Isaac that saved him. Now he was asked by God to kill the one son that was understood to be the inherited promises. So when he was tried, he offered up Isaac. The Greek structure again points out that Abraham obeyed immediately. While being tried, he offered up. In other words, while the commandment come, it's, he, he went right at it. If you read even in the, in the Hebrew in Genesis 22, next morning he's on his way. He's got a three-day journey, right? If we look at Mount Moriah, where that all takes place ultimately, it's a three-day three -day journey from Bethsheba, Bethsheba where, they, uh, where, where they were. And the Mount Moriah is a ridge system. And it's on the uh, west side. You have Mount Zion and there's a valley called the Teropian Valley. It originally was between the two. It's now been filled. And uh, Mount of Olives is to the east with the Kidron Valley between them. So there's, there's sort of three, three ridges, Mount Zion, Mount, the, Mount, the Moriah, Mount Moriah Ridge System, and Mount of Olives. And uh, to the south, you have the Hinnom Valley. Okay. But the base of the ridge down there at the beginning is about 600 meters above sea level. And that's roughly where Salem or Ophel, the city of David, begins. But as you go north on this ridge system, it rises in altitude. Okay. When you finally get to about 741 meters, another 140 meters up, you're at a, a saddleback that was the thrashing floor of Aruna. And that was ultimately where that David buys that for the temple area. But that's not the, the peak of the hill. If you keep going north, you finally get to the peak, which is 777, it happens, meters above sea level. You go up another 30, 40 meters to get that altitude. Well, let's look at this a little more carefully. The thrashing floor is 741 meters above sea level. The Akidah takes place at the peak, I believe, and that's a place that we call Golgotha. You can visit it today. It's interesting that Abraham knew he was acting out prophecy. I don't know if he knew that on that very spot, 2,000 years later, another father would actually offer his son as an offering for sin. But he knew he was acting out prophecy, as we'll see here shortly. See, of the son, Hebrews writer points out, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. The, side, the, the seed here is a title of Christ. It's singular. Accounting that God was able to raise him up. In other words, Abraham was taking for granted that God's going to have to resurrect Isaac. He promised seed. He hadn't had any seed yet. You want me to kill him? Okay, you got a problem. Not a problem, but your problem. Accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure. In other words, obviously God returned Isaac to him by the substitution, right? Interesting question that most people miss. How long 
was Isaac dead as far as Abraham's concerned? From the time the commandment came. So for three days, as far as Abraham's concerned, he's as good as dead. And he's returned to him on the third day. See, Abraham firmly believed that Isaac, that if he had to kill Isaac before he had children, then Isaac would have to be resurrected to have children and fulfill the promise. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Abraham knew he was acting out prophecy. How do you know that? Because in Genesis 22, verse 14, it says, He named the place in the Jehovah Jireh, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. He gave it a prophetic name. He knew he was somehow, I don't know how much detail he knew, but he obviously knew he was acting out prophecy. And it's interesting that Isaac was dead to Abraham from the time the commandment came. Three days in total. And Paul makes that part of the gospel in, in 1 Corinthians 15. How that Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was buried. Only Paul emphasizes his burial because of his baptismal thing. And he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Where in the scriptures does it say that Christ is going to be resurrected in three days? In several places. Jonah, of course, is one example. And the other one is here, interestingly enough. There's a key principle, by the way, that I also want to bring out here. The Sadducees, I'm changing subjects now, we're going to talk about the New Testament for a minute. The Sadducees did not believe in the physical resurrection from the dead, as did the Pharisees. And they liked to ask tricky questions to make the Pharisees look stupid. And one day the Sadducees tried one of these questions on Jesus. said, a woman was married successively to seven brothers in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? That's all in Matthew 22, right? And Jesus answered that the Pharisees did not understand God's power and they did not understand the nature of the resurrection. And then to prove the resurrection, Jesus quoted Exodus 3, verse 6, where God says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Well, what's that got to do with anything? How does that statement prove the resurrection? When you're reading Matthew 22, you could stumble on that. How did that one statement, was that enough to prove the resurrection? How did it do that? The phrase, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was the Old Testament formula for the Abrahamic covenant. In that covenant, God made specific promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they all died without fulfillment of the promises God gave each of them. What does that prove? They're going to have to be resurrected because God keeps his promises. It's interesting to discover how God's commitment to his promises undergird, that foundation permeates the entire Bible. The God of Islam, who they call Allah, delights in that he can do anything. He's capricious. He doesn't delight in making and keeping promises. They're opposites. Because our God is a covenant-keeping God. His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob obligates God to resurrect Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in order to fulfill his promises. You miss that as you're reading Matthew 22. And by the way, David in like manner. David has promises yet to be fulfilled, and that's called the millennium. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. We're moving on here. Isaac blessed the son, he did not want to bless and vice versa. Remember, he, 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 Isaac didn't, he wanted to bless Esau, right? No. But when, he, when it got reversed, 
by trickery, he just saw that by faith, he knew that was, that was what was prophesied, that the blessings would flow, that, that those blessings would come to pass. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, now to Jacob, going one further, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph, but again, in a different order than Joseph thought. And he worshiped, leaning upon the top of the staff. Why is he leaning on top of the staff? Because he's dying, yes, but he also was a cripple. Remember when he wrestled the angel? Like his father, Isaac, Jacob also issued prophetic blessings concerning the two sons of Joseph. In fact, that Jacob's dying shows that he knew he would die before his promise would be fulfilled. So he too knew the fulfillment was in the next lifetime. Yet Jacob believed God was able to keep his promises and did not hesitate to give prophetic blessings to the two sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph now, when he died, now you know, the, the story of Joseph is incredible. You could think of a lot of things that Joseph did. The one that the writer picks is weird. Listen to this. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. The writer, of all the things he could have picked from this incredible saga of Joseph, he picks things before he dies. He wanted his bones buried in, in, in the promised land. Don't leave me here in Egypt. But see, the point the writer's making, Joseph's mind was on not in his lifetime, is what coming next, see? Joseph knew from his father Jacob that Israel would be in there for 400 years, actually. That's what God promised him. He knew that God intended to bring the Jews back from the land of Canaan. That's where he wanted to be buried. And as he grew older and so forth, he realized the promise would not be fulfilled in his lifetime. But he knew it would be fulfilled. So in his will, will and testament, he wanted his bones to be carried with him. And by faith, Moses, when he was born was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. Now that's kind of an interesting phrase, a proper child. And they were not afraid of the king's commandments. So they, the word there, by the way, in the Greek means much more than the English suggests. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Hebrews. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time. As we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.